0: الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين استفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين. الله مصل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم. الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم. على سيدنا محمد وعلى سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم. One of the great responsibilities that we have as Muslims is to uphold the covenant of Tawheed that we proclaim with our tongues. All of us from childhood have been taught the basic words of Tawheed. All of us will say La ilaha illallah And obviously when we make that statement, we proclaim with our tongues that there is nothing worthy of worship except Allah. And it's important for us to recognize, however, that when we make a statement of Tawheed, that this statement of Tawheed actually has different layers to it. The very foundational layer of Tawheed is that a person in the most evident and outward way avoid worshiping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, at the time of the Prophet there was the Kufar of Mecca and they were worshipping hundreds of idols to the extent that they had idols in the Kaaba, they had idols uh, in their homes, they had idols for various festivals. And that was a very evident and outward violation of Tawhid. Similarly, if you see somebody worshipping other than Allah, whether that be idols or whether that be any other form, that is very, very evident and alhamdulillah thumma alhamdulillah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve and protect us, this layer of tawheed is fairly straightforward and is fairly clear in our minds, and we are fairly preserved from it. I don't think anybody, you know, na'udhu billah has an idol that they're worshipping. So that's the very, very entry level of tawheed. And it was so firmly established at the time of the Prophet ﷺ that even till this day its foundations remain, and for the vast majority of Islamic history and for the vast majority of times and places, the ummah has been preserved from this. But I think it's important to remember that beyond this evident and outward violation of Tawheed, there are also more subtle ways by which a person can violate Tawheed. And those subtle ways, unfortunately, often plague all of us. For example, one of the features that's unique to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that all worship should be for Allah and Allah alone. Now we say that with our tongues, and we evidently and outwardly avoid that, no doubt about it, as I spoke about earlier. You know, nobody is going to now place an idol in a place and begin to worship it. But at the same time, I think it's important to appreciate that within all of us, there is a little ounce of pride and arrogance that if exposed to the wrong elements, can slowly grow in our hearts and eventually take over our souls. And there's no exception to this. All of us have this very dangerous potential to have a desire to, be, to attract other people's attention and in essence, almost to be worshipped. Now, I'll give you the most extreme example and it'll become clear what I'm trying to say. Inshallah, it'll become clear. The most extreme example would be the example of Fir'aun. And the Qur'an establishes, by the way, this is the Islamic paradigm. This is the most extreme example. So what was the statement of Fir'aun? The statement of Fir'aun was أنا رَبُّكُمُ That I am your Lord, Most High. Now, Fir'aun, he was the paradigm, he was the most extreme example of the person in the history of humanity whose arrogance and pride was so beyond its bounds that eventually it led to him making just the most extreme statement by saying that, I am your Lord Most High. Now, by the way, when he says, I am your Lord Most High, ala, He's not saying he created the heavens and the earth. He knows he didn't create the heavens and the earth. But what he is saying is that through his efforts... Through his work, through his maintenance of the kingdom, he is the one that feeds, he is the one that provides, he is the one that decides, he is the one that's in control. So from that perspective, which is an extreme perspective, he's claiming to be like a god. Of course, that's a very, very extreme example, but I would argue and caution all of us that that seed that was present in Fir'aun, that seed of arrogance, that seed of pride that was present in Fir'aun, it has the potential to exist in any one of us as well. So when the Quran establishes this paradigm and teaches us, or let's say preserves the story of Fir'aun and how Musa a.s. dealt with Fir'aun, the purpose isn't to tell stories or to somehow have a history lesson. The idea is for us to recognize that any one of us has the potential to develop such arrogance and such pride that we ourselves begin to think like we're gods. Now, are we going to make such an extreme statement? No. But we begin to act or think or even incline ourselves towards that arrogance, and the problem with that arrogance is that that arrogance precludes jannah. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to us that a person who has even just a mustard seed of pride slash arrogance will not be able to enter jannah. So this is something that all of us have to work to avoid. Now, it's a part of Tawheed, but it's not the first layer of Tawheed, because the first layer of Tawheed is that you shouldn't do anything outwardly blasphemous, you shouldn't say anything outwardly blasphemous, so that's sort of layer one. But there's another layer which all of us have to caution ourselves against because it could exist in us, in any way, at any time, and it can even take the mantle of deen itself. I'll give you an example in a moment. So, uh, how can I make this more clear? For example, let's just, I'll give you some very simple examples. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing. Yes? al Alim. Everybody knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing. Everybody sitting here knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing. But there's a little devil within us. There's a little arrogance. There's a little piece of pride within us that makes us want to be the ones who know everything. We want, there's within us, there's a little desire that people think that we know everything and that we know everything that's happening at all times. So for example... There could be something going on that's absolutely none of our business, right? There's something going on. It's a private matter someplace. It's absolutely none of our business, but we have to know what's going on. There's a subset of us. I'm not saying every one of us. I'm going to give a few examples, and hopefully we'll be able to identify if this disease exists within us in any of those domains. But but people should recognize, we should all ask ourselves, do we have this characteristic of wanting to be all-knowing? Do we have this characteristic of wanting to know all this information that has nothing to do with us and particularly would require us to violate the deen in order to be able to obtain it? So that's a little potential disease that exists in every person. And a part of Tawheed is for every person to ask the question of themselves, am I competing with my Lord? For example, one of the characteristics or features of Tawheed is that all attention should be towards Allah. All worship, all hope, all desire, all attention, all shan should be towards Allah wa ta'ala. But there's a subset of us who like to draw attention to ourselves. We want to drive a flashy car so that people will notice us. Now, Mind you, if somebody drives a flashy car because they personally enjoy it and they could care less what the world thinks, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the problem becomes where we want to drive the car so that the world sees us. Right? That becomes a problem because essentially what's happening in that case is that the reason that I'm driving that car or the reason that I'm wearing those clothes or the reason that I'm living that lifestyle or the reason that I walk in a certain way, or the reason that I may, might even talk in a certain way, is because I want to attract the attention of people towards me. Now, if I'm trying to attract the attention of people towards me, what I'm really trying to say is that your focus should be on me. I'm trying to make myself like a little lord. Because actually, we should be calling people to the worship of Allah. We should be pointing to the signs of Allah. We should be reminding people of all of the uh, constant um, reminders of Allah that are present around us. But if the goal is that I'm going to dress a certain way, drive a certain way, talk a certain way, walk a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way because I want to attract people's attention, then essentially I'm thinking from a little from one perspective, I'm wanting people to worship me, and this exists. I'm not saying it exists in all of us, but it's a potential disease that all of us should be aware of. There's a subset of us that do things because we want people to see what we do. We want people's eye on us. We want people's attention. We want people's praise. We want them to say good things about us. So this is a problem, because it's almost like a little bit of competing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, some of us want to be the ones that... Tell everyone everything, right? For example, let's just say that there's some news. I mean, there could be some shocking news. I'll just give you an example. So some shocking event occurs in the corner of the masjid, right? There's some people that will run to the corner of the masjid to check, are you okay, what happened, etc. But there's always those people that as soon as they see what's going on, they run into the corner and they want to be the first people to let the world know. They want the world to know that they know. So, in essence, what's happening here? They're trying to compete. They're trying to show that they have some sort of knowledge, that they see, that they hear, that they know. And all of those characteristics eventually have the potential for a person to compete with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, we as uh, individuals who are seeking to perfect our tawheed, we should recognize that, number one, and obviously, the very, very base, basic layer of Tawheed is that a person does not worship other, other than Allah. Outwardly, a person does not make statements that are uh, incongruent with the oneness of Allah. But that layer, we're relatively protected from. That's not what the Prophet ﷺ feared for us. What the Prophet ﷺ did fear for us was the minorship, was the Circumstance in which we began to either worship things and give them the place that Allah should have, right? This is problem one possibility of a violation of shirk. I should be worshiping Allah. I should have hope with Allah. I should turn to Allah. I should focus on Allah. But instead of doing that, I turn towards this. I focus on this. I put my faith in something else. I put my energy towards something else. I put my um, my, my I make my goal something else. So what have I done? I've put something else in the place of Allah, right? So that's obvious too. I think all of us know that we have to avoid it, although it's exceedingly difficult to avoid. I'm talking about something even more subtle than that. Rather than putting our jobs or our faith or something else in place, we put ourselves in that place. You You see the difference. It's like the next layer. We put ourselves in that place. We want people to think we know. We want to be the ones that tell people what to do. We want to be the ones that uh, n- see it, see it all, or hear it all. And that disease is also a very, very subtle violation of tohi, and it's something that all of us should try to avoid. Now, I mean, you know this example. This is all—we're just getting back to the, the same examples that we share all the time. But this is the example of the individual whom Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala gave great wealth to, and having been given great wealth, the person goes and spends on so many different charities. On the Day of Judgment, the person is raised, and it's asked to the person, You've been, you were given so many blessings, did you do anything good? So the person says, I was given wealth, and I spent it. But then the person is told... You lied. Yes, you were given wealth. But you didn't spend it for the sake of Allah. You spent it so that people would say that you were generous. Now, what's happening here? What happens, by the way? That person gets thrown in jahannam. Well, why? Because they competed with Allah. They they, they created a, a competitor with Allah. Rather than spending for the sake of Allah... They spent for the sake of raising their own name. I want people to do my dhikr. I want people to turn their attention towards me. I want people to uh, look towards me, to be focused on me. So that becomes a, a type of competition. The person becomes almost like a lord. Or at least they compete with their lord. So the person ends up in Jahannam. And by the way, this is not one example. There's an example of the person who did jihad in the same way. There's an example of the scholar in the same way. So what are we being told in that particular narration, which lists all three examples, the wealthy individual, the scholar, and the the warrior? What's What's the fundamental, similar, guiding reason why all of them end up, despite the fact that they did great acts of worship, all of them end up failing and end up actually receiving the opposite of what they expected, which is jahannam. Why? Because they didn't do it for the sake of Allah. They did it so that they could be like Allah. Meaning they wanted people's attention. They didn't call people to Allah. They called people towards themselves. They wanted people's attention, focus, energy to be on them. And that one feature is so dangerous and so counter to our deen, that it negates the life of the scholar and all the other good things that they might have done. It negates the life of the wealthy individual and all the other good things that he might have done or she might have done. It negates the uh, life of a warrior and all of the sacrifices that they made. I mean, these are the three very, very high states that a person can achieve in in their religion. All of it is negated by one simple um, premise, which is, that they became arrogant and rather than raising rather than the goal being to raise the name of Allah the goal instead became to raise themselves now, by the way this disease is so dangerous that it actually forms the entire foundation of good versus evil this disease is so dangerous that it actually forms the entire foundation of good versus evil because what was the sin of Shebaan? How did Shebaan become Shebaan? The sin of Shebaan, how Shebaan became Shebaan, was through arrogance. That was the only problem. He didn't want to accept the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he felt that he was better. So why should he, for example, bow to Adam a.s. So this arrogance... This uh, characteristic, the potential exists in all of us. The most extreme example is Fir'aun. And that extreme example is painted so that we can never ever go anywhere near that. But that doesn't mean that that's the only example. And that doesn't mean that that's the only symptom. For us, we should be wary that every single action that we do should always be for the sake of Allah. And we should see ourselves in our limited capacity, and we should see Allah for who He really is. It's, it's easy to think that I know, or I I control, or I can compel, or I'm the one that sees, I'm the one that heard. Oh you didn't hear this, I heard it, let me tell you. That um, is it's, it's very common, and it's very easy to fall in that trap. And by the way, the cure for this disease is for a person to do a tremendous amount of dhikr and to always scan their heart and their actions and uh, their being in order to identify even the smallest degree of this type of arrogance. Now, why does a dhikr assistant help in this? Because essentially, the reason that we exhibit such behavior is because we lose sight of the reality of Allah vis-a-vis ourselves. We become inflated on ourselves, and we lose, fa- we lose sight of the reality that we are essentially nothing. I mean, if you think about it, in space, we're nothing. We're not even a speck of dust in the, in the universe, in the grand scheme of the universe. And in time, we're nothing. We're not even a blink of an eye in the grand scheme of the reality of time. So we, as not even being a speck in place and not even being a blink in time, think that if I know and I tell other people that I'm somehow something special, if I see and I can explain to other people that I've seen something that they haven't seen, that I'm somehow special. If I am asked a question, I should always have an answer so that people always think I know. It's not, I can't say I don't know. But the reality of that is that we just become inflated on ourselves. We begin to see ourselves as bigger than we are. We begin to see ourselves as existing in more space than we can occupy. We begin ourselves to see ourselves as more permanent than we actually are passing. But if a person does dhikr, then what that does is that resets. It turns the uh, eye of the camera away from us and turns the focus of a person towards Allah and the moment a person focuses on Allah, the only conclusion that they can come to is that Allahu Akbar. Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala is bigger than all that my mind can contain, including myself and my ego and my arrogance and my desire for people to know, think that I'm something, my desire to feel like I know, my desire to think that I see, my desire to think that I heard something that other people haven't heard. All of that becomes wiped away if a person truly focuses on Allah because once a person begins to appreciate and experience the dhikr of Allah, then all focus and attention turns towards him and they begin to realize how inconsequential they are, how irrelevant their existence is, and how how dependent they are on the one who is independent of all. So that's the first solution, is to do dhikr. And the second solution is to constantly scan one's heart and one's mind and one's actions to ask the question whether this weed exists in the garden of my deen. This is a weed in the end, right? It, it can pop up at any time. Our guard can be down. Our, you know Our connection with Allah can become weakened at certain points. And this weed can begin to grow in this garden of faith that we have. And the only person who's going to be able to remove it before it becomes some crazy tree that you can't pull no matter how hard you tug, you can't remove it from the ground, is the person who continuously scans their hearts, recognizing that they are never free of the possibility of arrogance. That they are never free of the possibility of deceiving themselves. doesn't matter how pious we are. doesn't matter how uh, advanced we are, it doesn't matter how many degrees we have, it doesn't matter how many books we've read, it doesn't matter if we're a scholar or we're a common man, all of us at every point in our life have the potential for this type of arrogance to arise and Shaitan knows that this is like the thing that multiplies by zero. Shaitan knows that this is the thing that multiplies by zero. You take a billion and multiply it by zero, you're left with zero. You take a billion and you multiply it by zero, you're left with zero. Why? Because it completely knocks out any number and puts it back to zero. So if shaitan can get us to violate tawheed, which is the essence of this deen, in even the most subtle way, it'll take a scholar, multiply them by zero, and put them in jahannam. It'll take a wealthy person, multiply them by zero, and put them into jahannam. It'll take um, the warrior and multiply all of their, li- their life by zero and put them in jahannam. So this is the challenge that shaitan is continuously trying to seep in the heart of every believer. That people should worship me. People should think I'm something. People should, why, why, how, why do people talk to me like that? Don't they know who I am? Right? I mean, isn't this a common thing that we think within ourselves? How did they talk to me like that? So, I mean, we can, ask, we can stop and ask the question. Oh, I'm sorry, pardon me. What do you mean talk to you like that? Who are you? you know, I'm this person. I'm this big person. I'm the boss. I'm the one that makes decisions. I'm the one that tells people what to do. I'm the one that knows. Now they're going to see. You talk to me like that, you're going to see what's going to happen to you. Right? I mean, this is just a, a type of arrogance. I'm not saying that doesn't excuse people from behaving with proper adab. Everybody has to behave with adab. But we're making, we make the claim upon ourselves that how could people treat me that way? Who do they think they are? Do they not know me? How could people talk to, that, talk to me that way? Do they not know who I am? So yeah, why don't you sit down in the front of the masjid or outside parking lot, take the microphone and tell the world who we are? That nobody should treat us that way. Nobody should speak to us that way. Nobody should act that way. I, I'm not saying that we don't have to behave in certain ways with certain people. We do. The Deen binds us to have other. We have to treat our parents a certain way. We have to treat the elders with respect, etc. But I'm saying that this attitude that we have, it has to be erased because it can potentially become a very, very dangerous tree or you know, something that completely overtakes our or very, very dangerous weed that completely overtakes our garden. And shepan knows it, and it is actually the sin of shepan Remember, shaitan was the most pious, right? Shaitan was among of, of the jinn and was the most pious of the jinn, had been brought into uh, this high status by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what was the failure? The failure was arrogance. And that arrogance just multiplied him by zero and wiped him away and made him the primordial force of evil until the end of time. So we should fear that. We should be constantly asking that question. When I behave with others, am I behaving arrogantly? I mean, you know, it's funny. In the masjid, some of us do it in the masjid or at work. You know, how do people treat me like this? Don't people recognize who I am? Don't people recognize my knowledge? Don't people recognize how important I am? And then there's another subset of us that we do it in our homes. Spouse wants to impose on the other spouse and be the king, wants to be the Faron in the house. It's a husband-wife. It goes both ways. The kids want to be the Faraon in the house. They want everyone to, uh, you know, do exactly what they say, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This disease is a very common disease. Our goal is not to point it out in others. The goal is to look for it in ourselves. And if we find it within ourselves, well, number one, we should look. We should scan ourselves continuously. Look for this weed and remove it at its earliest stages before it becomes something that will not be able to be pulled out by 10 people, let alone one finger. Easy to remove a weed with one finger. When that very deep weed tree grows in, you put 10 people on it, and you ask everybody to lift it, and it's not going to go anywhere. So we should scan ourselves constantly. All praise is only for Allah. All attention and worship is only for Allah. All knowledge is with Allah. I mean, nowadays, honestly, I just scratch my head, you know, person, I shouldn't get into all these topics, but person doesn't even have a basic understanding of biology and is commenting about medical science. I can tell you, okay, I myself have studied, more than anything in my life, I've studied medical science. That's more than anything in my life, I've studied medical science. And I'll tell you the only conclusion I can come to after having studied medical science and taught medical science for close to 20 years now. The only conclusion I can come to is I just ask myself, how can we be so confident when we know so little? That's like my fear. That we sometimes act so confident about some of the statements that we make, some of the conclusions that we make, some of the assessments that we make, some of the understanding that we have. Yet we know so little about the truth of what actually exists. And time only proves that. Because if you go 50 years back and you read what we used to say, I'm saying the people in the medical field used to say, then, I mean, even forget about 50 years back. When I was a medical student, I remember, I was a second year medical student. One of my lecturers stood up in front of all of us and said that you know everything that I, I can tell you right now, I'm going to give you a lecture. I'm going to tell you that 90% of what I teach you, you're going to find out is wrong. 90% of what I teach you, by the end of your career, you're going to find out is wrong. Because it's all we understand today. It's all we understand today. And in the future, we're going to learn that many of the things that we presumed to be fact and we're treating you know, as if it was foundation – Actually, in the end, we're wrong. And you can see these things all the time. When I was younger, everybody said, don't eat fat, don't eat fat, don't eat fat. And it was such an odd, it's, like, it's like, what person can't see? If you eat fat, you become heavy. Makes sense. Now they say, oh, no, you should actually eat fat. You, because actually, when you eat fat, it makes you feel full. Otherwise, you eat all empty calories, and you just keep eating, 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 eating. And that's what makes you heavy. It's a lot more biochemistry there. I'm simplifying that matter. But I'm just saying, like, the same people with all of the degrees from all of the major universities throughout the whole world, all stood up and were crying, A. And now the next generation comes and says, oh, well, A was wrong, it was actually B. In the 1970s, every baby that was born, they would send you home with cans and cans of milk. They would say, no, 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 this is the best for your baby. Because this has all of the... Most essential amino acids, most essential lipids, most essential proteins that are necessary for a nourishing baby, this uh, milk that the mother makes cannot compete with this can. This is like 1970s go read 1970s now the, the, they, no mom 's milk is best, and all these cans you know they 're used in certain circumstances, but nothing beats mom 's milk so Anyway, I'm just trying to say that the one thing that I've learned after so much time is that the only question I ask myself is how can we be so confident? How can we speak so confidently when we know so little? Like the one thing you learn is that you actually don't know anything. That's the actual sign sign of knowledge. All knowledge is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only. Only Allah has knowledge. Now, does that mean that we don't know? Of course, there are things that we know and there are things that we don't know. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he... He grants us certain knowledge, and we gain that knowledge over time, and that's part of the blessing and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon humanity. I'm not negating knowledge. I'm not negating the understanding that we have. I'm not negating science. I'm just saying the confidence that's ex- exhibited, even by the people who are the most educated in the field, sometimes crosses the boundary of actually what's known. Now, if that's the circumstance of the people who are educated in the field, then how is this person who never even passed high school biology getting on podcasts and talking about medical science, you know, hey, I think this and hey, I think that. It's like head scratching. But this is the time we place we live in. And the reason I'm giving this talk today is because this is a disease that actually is being perpetuated throughout the world today. And all of us are caught up in the web. Because really, what is social media, right? I mean, it's the whole thing. It's like just change it to fans from fans to worshipers. Like, how many fans do I have? How many people look at me? How many people's attention is on me? And people type as if, people send messages as if they're prophets. Like, they try to come up with the cutest, shortest statement, you know, to show how wise they are. I mean, we're just, what do we know? If we have the words of the Prophet, that's a separate story. But, like, who am I to, like, uh, begin to start writing my words as if they have some sort of value in that way? it's like, why should the world care what I eat for dinner? Why do I even care to tell the world what I eat for dinner? It creates the possibility. I'm not saying it exists in people. I'm just saying it creates the possibility of wanting the world's attention on me, caring about what people think, meaning you know, I care about how many people follow me. I care about how many people's attention is on me. I care about why people should care about what I eat or what I drink or what I did I should be reminding people of the greatness of Allah, not what I had for breakfast. We're here to call people to Allah. We're here to remember Allah, to be grateful to Allah, to focus on Allah, and to call other people to this Allah so that they too can bring their life in accordance with that which brings peace in this life and that which leads to success in the hereafter. But now we're all caught up in this web of complete uh, craziness. It's... People are calling to each other. We're calling to each other. It's like, uh, you, you know, here's what I did, here's what I do, here's, what I, here's how I wake up in the morning, here's how I go to bed at night. And the worst thing is, we post it about ourselves, and then we consume it about others. So the reason this is dangerous, I'm not saying this exists in anybody, I'm just telling you about a potential, is that this very quickly waters the weed. If I actually had uh, within me the, the disease of wanting people's attention upon me and I, had the, I have this disease, or the, let's say this, if I have the potential of wanting people's attention, of wanting to know, of, of wanting to tell everybody what I know, of wanting to tell everybody how wise I am, and that could potentially create a circumstance in which other people's attention is drawn towards me and can boost my ego and make me arrogant, then I can just tell you that, it infinitely, it gets infinitely multiplied when a person's on, in the social world. Because it basically becomes about me. How many followers, followers do I have? Who's listening to what I have to say? Who thinks that I'm wise? How many nice comments do people have regarding me? How much do people praise me at the bottom of my, uh, you know, what I have to say? So we should be exceedingly conscious of the potential, Again, I'm not here to criticize anybody. I'm not saying anybody has this. I'm just saying that this potential exists. It's, it's very dangerous to assume that it's not going to happen to any of us. Is just um, it, 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 it's, it's turning a blind eye to a reality that is very common. The Quran establishes that this is something that we should avoid by talking about this idea that Pharaoh wanted everybody to think that he was a lord. He wanted everybody to think that he knew. He wanted everybody to think that he saw. He wanted everybody to think that he heard. That he is the one that is in control and attention should be drawn towards him. And there's a little Fir'aun in all of us. There's a little Fir'aun in all of us. Some of us, it shows up when we're in our homes. Some of, it, some of us, it shows up when we're dealing with our friends. Some of us, it shows up when we're in the masjid. Some of us, it shows up at work. And for many of us, it shows up when we're in this false world that's been created of all these like social connections which are just far beyond what any of us are able to handle. So we should comb our lives with a fine-tooth comb. We should never, ever seek attention for ourselves. We should rather, we should lower ourselves because we know that the one that lowers themselves, Allah will raise them. And the idea here is that Allah will raise them in this world and Allah will raise them Absolutely and certainly in the hereafter. So our role is twofold. No, three. Number one, to recognize that this potential exists and to not be blind to it. This is the first thing. If you don't even know about a disease, how are you going to find it? Number one. Number two, once you recognize the danger of this and how uh, that it can exist, number one, it can exist. Number two, the danger. How quickly it can reduce a person to zero. Number three, to scan for it. Because if you understand that it exists, and you understand that it can reduce a person to zero, then you're going to test and screen for it. So that becomes the responsibility of all of us in this room. To always ask the question, by the way, this is the beauty of a deliberate life. You know what I mean by deliberate life? Deliberate life means you go, you engage, you back away and reflect. Not just like a ping-pong ball, engage here, engage here, engage here, engage here. As fast as you can bump into people, you bump into them. As fast as you can respond to text after text and thread after thread, you respond. No, you engage. We back away. We, we do muraqaba. We reflect. We think. We ask the question, how did I behave in that circumstance? Did I treat that person with the adab that they deserve to be treated with? Did I behave in a way that was representative of my Islam? Did I follow the sunnah in this particular circumstance? Yes, alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah. May Allah keep me consistent on the path and continue to guide me to the straight way. No, ya Allah, I seek your forgiveness and I'm going to think about how I'm going to improve my next interaction. We need space. We're not, we, 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 our actions are deliberately spaced so that we can reflect, be grateful, and seek forgiveness. Not like a ping pong ball just bumping into everything in the world and just going along with whichever way the wind blows. No, Muslims are extremely, exceedingly deliberate in the way in which they behave. Because that's the only way that shukr and istighfar is going to exist in the empty spaces in between. So this is a responsibility that falls upon all of us. And we have to screen for this disease. We have to screen for this. Meaning we have to constantly comb through our lives in a deliberate manner, asking the question, Whether this type of arrogance exists within me? Am I seeking people's attention? Am I doing things in order to gain other people's favor or attention? Am I am am I trying to act like I know more than I know? Am I trying to show that I have knowledge? Am I trying to show that I'm the one that sees? Am I trying to show that I'm the one that hears? All of this is potentially competitive with the notions that are established by Tawheed. So these few simple principles are so important in this day and age because of the dangers that surround us and the potential. For utter failure if we don't clean our lives of the potential of arrogance and of the potential of um, uh, of this uh, disease of the nafs, disease of the heart. And this is one of the very, very key aspects of tazkiyah. Tazkiyah I've spoke about many times to purify the soul, to remove that which is uh, discordant with Deen, so that we can grow and develop. And this this is one of the features because it's basically just a it's just a pillar of Tawheed. There's no fear that we're going to get up and start bowing to idols. That's not the fear that the Prophet ﷺ had for us. But the fear that he did have for us was that we would begin to exhibit these lower levels of shirk, which can cause failure at the level of almost worshiping idols. Because, I mean, look, if a person worshiped idols, they're going to end up in Jahannam. Now you've got this righteous, pious individual who has all of this knowledge of Islam but ends up doing it because he wants people to call him a great scholar. And it's said that people called him a great scholar. So what ends up happening to him? He ends up in the same place. Fine, the depth may not be the same, meaning the depth of degree of jahannam may not be the same, but in the end, he ends up in the same place. So we should be very, very careful to protect and preserve the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to turn towards him, to him alone, to worship him alone, to call towards Him alone, and to never compete uh, in that call. We should call people to Allah. We should not call people to ourselves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to appreciate the dangers of arrogance. And may, may He make us amongst those who are able to stamp it out from our hearts. Wa